Lord. Come now, be present with us. Um, make your word uh, holy scripture and speak to us. Um, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Close the door in just a minute, but it's good to see everyone again. I was just telling May May as we're walking in. Um, I, f- I felt like I wandered around last week and uh, had a little bit more of a sense, I think, of where we're headed, which happens a lot in the way, I don't know, the way that I'm wired, I guess, or something like that. I try to figure out who or what the, uh, especially when I do a series like this, what's, you know, what's being given? What's the thread? And so hopefully a little bit more is going to be coming forward. And if you went to Nine and heard Andrew's sermon, um, gosh, it's very consonant with this, uh, that great passage from from 1 Corinthians um, 4, I guess it is. Uh, I was going to go on an aside, but I think I'll stay on tack. Um, so with that, I think, um, now I'll reset the, 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 the scene just a little bit. I think the theme, which I didn't know last week, but now I think I do, that I do want to keep in front of us, here we go, uh, is this somewhat jarring, um, misunderstood, uh, unusual saying of Luther, um, uh, spoken in 1520 in the context of, uh, of a commentary on one of the Psalms, Psalm 5, I think it was. Uh, it is experience that makes you a theologian. It is not reading and writing that makes you a theologian. It is living and dying and being damned. That makes you a theologian. I'm trying to break that down. Um, and this is where Andrew's sermon really comes in. Uh, contrast that. Um, experience. What does he mean? Just living life. Life on life's terms. It's living that makes you a theologian. We can't help but as we move through life to have these experiences, these assaults, these, these uh, uh, curveballs, these successes, I mean, it's in there. Um, like Andrew said, I would agree. That's not what makes the substance of things. And when we try to exert those, we get into real trouble. Um, it is living and dying and being damned. Why is it not living and succeeding and being victorious and living on the mountain, and all those sort of high watermarks in life, why don't those make us a theologian? Because that's what he's contrasting it to. In Luther's language, he'd be in this this language of the theology of the cross versus a theology of glory, and he's definitely even sort of had that phrase. He coined it to be a theologian of the cross. The cross alone is our theology. That it's the experience of life when it hits us, life on life's terms, as I will describe it a lot, is what clarifies us, and that makes us a theologian. A theologian, not in the book sense, as he says right before this, these these two lines in um, in his commentary. He's 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 contrasting it. It's not reading and speculating and thinking that makes us a theologian. It's not a PhD. It's not a master's. It's not a bachelor's. It's not knowing big words. It's not being able to quote the Bible. It's not um, being smart. It's not intellectual. It's not cognitive. It has nothing to do with any sort of faculty of understanding in the way that we normally understand that word. Um, any faculty of being able to uh, apprehend and then regurgitate in some sort of systematic way. Uh, now certainly, that's a theologian. But that's not a theologian that he's talking about. That's not a theologian that I'm concerned with today. Um, it's not a theologian that I want to be. 
Although it's fun. I mean, I enjoy that. I really do. One of my favorite things to do is just to talk, quote-unquote, theology. But I don't care. I'm not trying to make those theologians or those of us who live life and have been waylaid, who've been hit, who've been rolled over, uh, and have a way to frame those experiences so that we're struck down, as Andrew put it so well, we're not destroyed as we're, um, uh, as we're beat. We're not defeated as we are uh, as life is taken from us, we are not dead. Um, there's something else. There's something else. There's a hope that remains outside of us. And that life lived, uh, the experience of that life, living and dying and being damned, that's what makes you a theologian. And what is that? Theologos. You know, that's the word. It can use words sometimes to help clarify things. Just God's Word. God's speaking work. Theologos. The Word. Logos. Theos. God. God speaking. As we live and die and are damned, as we experience death, or as Paul would put it elsewhere, you know, in the Himalaya of Romans 8, um, of, uh, of, uh, of life and death and angels and demons and principalities and powers and everything else in the creation that will try to take us from him, um, that nothing and no thing will be able to separate us from him. That's theology. That's the word of God making itself known to us. Um, as I said in that little prayer, it's one thing I've been thinking of as I've been framing this, and we'll get to it in the text today. Um, great is a, is a chapter in a book, Oswald Byers' book. Great, great book. Um, chapter 4, in fact. It's one of the best chapters I've read in the last three years. It says, What makes the Bible holy scripture? First I read that, and I was like, what an odd title of a chapter. And I thought about it, well, that's a good question. What makes the Bible holy scripture? What makes the Bible holy scripture? What makes the Bible more than words? Because it's not the Koran. You know, it's very different. I heard once, and I think this is true, I don't know much about Islam, but the Bible is not to Christianity as the Quran is to Islam. Does anybody know what the Quran is to Islam, the syllogism, um, uh, what it is to Christianity? It's Christ himself. Christ is to Christianity as the Quran is to Islam. It's not a book. I mean, it is, it's why you can't, if you hold it, um, you have to learn Arabic to really to read it correctly, and it is um, uh, what makes the Quran the Quran to Islam. Uh, the Quran does because it is the intermediary between Allah and and uh, and, and us. That's not that's not the case with the Bible. It's not a holy relic. It doesn't hold anything. You can take the Bible and you can throw it. You can burn the Bible. Although I'd still feel weird doing it, but you could. And there's no damnable offense there. I mean, it is just words on a page. Until something happens, an event, an act. What makes the Bible holy scripture? What makes it not just an artifact in a religious studies program at, you know, Sewanee or Cornell or UAB or wherever else? Uh, the Bible makes itself holy scripture. Um, somehow, it is a living word of a living God, and it has an effect. It makes itself into something else. As the Bible speaks, it does talked about that last week, the Theologos. As God speaks, it happens. And so the event 
of a theologian, of a theologos, is in a passive event where we suffer, passio, passive, passion, where we get the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. The life of a Christian is a receptive life. It is a passive life. We are, as I showed this not too long ago, hearers. This is a little sculpture. I'll just leave it up there until we look at some movie clips later. Um, out of a church in Germany. Um, you know, there's a group of us who are going to be going to Germany on a little Luther tour. Um, summer of 2016. Maybe we'll go here. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's this sort of weird sculpture. Um, uh, it's called The Listener. As we hear the word and receive it, because it's the receptive life. This is a portrait of the receptive life, the receiving life, not the active life, not the doing life, that the organ of a Christian is the ear. And so the abnormally large ears with the cups around it to hear, hear, O Israel, um, to hear uh, the theologos of living, uh, of, of having meaning, of having our pain, of living and dying and being damned interpreted so that in fact we are not a people without hope. And this is Galatians. Here's the bridge. This is what the book of Galatians is about. While Paul, which one thing, probably one reason I really like this book, it is an impassioned, um, emotionally laden theological plea. It's not a systemic sort of explication of, of theology. It's not Romans, in other words. It's not an occasional letter like the Corinthians, both of them, first and second, where almost certainly the church said, Paul, we've got some problems. A bunch of us got together and we wrote down the six things we'd like you to talk about. They sent it to Paul and Paul wrote back. And that's what we have in first and second Corinthians. This is uh, uh, Paul just hearing about the church that he loves uh, that really got in and got spoiled. They lost this. The, ear, the hands came down, and they weren't in the receptive life anymore. And they started to hear some others. Those are the circumcision party, the group of James, um, the, uh, the rabble-rousers, the agitators, as he calls them, um, the circumcision group. He has all these names for them, these people that come in and preach another gospel. Preach as if there was one, he says. There is no other one, but as if there were, they're preaching that one, this other, quote, good news, which is neither good nor new. It's bad and it's old, he would say. It's, there's no gospel in it at all. Uh, and he gets really, really excited. And that's where we are. That's where we were last week, and that's where we are today. So with that, that's kind of my little preface. Keep this up here. The organ of a Christian is an ear. Why? Because it's the receptive life. Um, if you're reading you know, theology, you'll see it written as the vita passiva, the vita passiva the passive life, um, the receptive life is a better way to put it, because we, we, we don't like to think of ourselves as passive, we want to be active. We'll think of ourselves as receivers, that the Creator speaks, theologos, theologia, um, there's a speaking act of God, and we receive that, and that changes everything. Today we're going to see the introduction of the Holy Spirit, um, where it hasn't been mentioned at all in the first two chapters of uh, of Galatians and Paul, who sometimes is maligned as not being, um, you know, charismatic enough or not being focused on the Spirit. Um, you know, he's, he's equitable with the Trinity. <laughs> he's big into the Spirit, um, and we'll hear that a lot today, and in the rest of Galatians as we kind of bounce in and out of it. I think it's probably four or five times in the few chapters, the few verses that we'll look at today. So, um, 
because the receptive life is one that receives faith, um, and the faith is only given by the Holy Spirit. The law never gives the Spirit. Flip it around. The Spirit never accompanies the law. That's what Paul is going to say in the second verse of uh, chapter 3. So any comments on that, just as a way in? i got to pick it up because we have them. Put a teaser out there because if you're me sitting on a nice couch, I'm probably like, that's really gate, but it's starting to slide off. You know, Johnny Cash is coming back. I didn't know that I was going to stay with him, but uh, but uh, read last week from his autobiography and look a little walk, walk the line this week because um, I've stayed with him because he is a great example of a theologian. I mean, my goodness, was there someone who knew the experience of living and dying and being damned before, as we looked at the Nickajack Lake story last week, um, it'd be Johnny Cash, um, the man in black who became the man in white and all that sort of stuff. And so we're going to look at a scene from uh, from um, uh, Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix and also a little interview by him. So i got to hustle through the text to be able to ground that. So that's the hope. Any comments or thoughts before we get started? I should have had Bibles for us, but I didn't think about that. So I'm sorry. Um, let me read uh, Galatians um, chapter 3, 1 through 14. We may, um, may spend most of our time really on the first five or nine verses. I'm not sure which, but, but I'll go ahead and read all that. So, so Galatians 3, 1 through 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Do you receive the Spirit? There's the first time the word, um, the Spirit comes into the, to the text. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Here's the, here's the example. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer, that's passive tense, passio, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I can't help but hear the man in black, the man of faith. Um, so. Um, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a law, but the law is not a faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of a law by becoming a curse for us. Very strong statement in Paul. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who, hanged, who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So dense. You know, hard to, hard to hear and, 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 and apprehend and get. So break it down just a little bit. Structurally, what's Paul doing? Um, first five verses, there are six questions. Paul's a great rhetorician, and so just rhetoric, rhetorical questions. Six questions. Who has bewitched you? Um, uh, uh, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you foolish? 
Um, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it was in vain? Um, uh, or did not Abraham believe God and it was counted to him as righteousness? You know, six questions in five verses. And then he takes three verses and uses the, the example of Abraham. Kind of goes in this emotional sort of outpouring. And he sort of reclaims Abraham. Interesting, Abraham, not really a Jew. Abraham, as he would say in um, uh, elsewhere, 430 years before he counted them. 430 years before the law was given. When was the law given? Moses. That's way in the other book. That's Exodus 20. This is way back in Genesis 12. 430 years before Moses was around. Before Moses was a twinkle in his mom's eye. You know, here's the man of faith. The man of the promise. Not a Jew. Had no relationship to the temple. Had no relationship to the law. Had no relationship to the dietary laws. To the moral law. Are we going to count Abraham outside of, 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 a, of, of the people of the promise? He's like, by no means. He is the man of the promise. He is the man of faith. And so he uses Abraham as the example, as he also does in, um, in Romans 1, coming back to that otherwise obscure, near throwaway line in Habakkuk, um, the righteous shall live by faith. And then, we we'll probably won't go here for too long because, because of time. Um, remember Paul, just a little bit of Pauline stuff, um, he was uh, Saul before that, and he was the rabbi Saul. And so, what, Six Old Testament quotes, um, maybe five, uh, right here from, from verse 9 through, through 14. He quotes Genesis, Deuteronomy, Habakkuk, Leviticus, and then Deuteronomy again. So he's right there. So he's interpreting the Old Testament. He's doing a Bible study. He's doing theology, this living and dying and being damned. And he's placing the living Word of God, which is making itself Holy Scripture, where the, the Word has an activity, where when God speaks... Whatever he speaks comes into effect, as I say so often. I bet there's not a class that goes by. They don't say, where did it start? When God said, let there be light, suddenly there was light. He didn't sort of say, okay, well, let me sort of do all this. There was nothing, which we can't even conceive of. And then suddenly, only because by the spoken word of God, something. And so here we are. Lord, I am nothing. And so I receive you, and suddenly I am something. The ears of Lazarus, when he was dead, they were dead. And then God spoke through Christ, um, or in Christ, uh, as Christ. That's, that's, the, that's the preposition. Uh, and the DNA was rekindled. And suddenly the ears were alive again. Awakened, as the, the Psalms would say. And life, the passive life, the receptive life, came into being. So, let's break into a little bit of, a, of the first parts, and then we'll look at some, some Johnny Cash, because I need about seven, ten minutes of that. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's basically saying, idiots, stupid, are you drunk? That's really what he's saying. It's not sort of the magic stuff. He's really saying, you are so off of reality. Are, you're drunk. You, who has bewitched you? How did you get so drunk that you don't know which end is up and which end is down. You're, you're totally off here. Uh, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes in his preaching. It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. I resolved to know nothing when I was among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. You knew that. You saw Him, as it were, through my preaching event, through the words spoken through me, 
the, the, the Word became what it was. You saw Christ Jesus as crucified. And now, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Rhetorical question. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Having begun in a supernatural way, are you now going to pick that up and sort of say, okay, I got it from here, and by natural means sort of finish this thing? You know, look, if Lazarus is half resuscitated, he's going, okay, I got it from here. Let me just go ahead and sort of finish. I'll sort of wake my, you know, make my feet alive now. You know, it's just, we struggle for an analogy. And that's where Paul's doing. And if you've begun by the Spirit, are you now going to sort of take this over and think that it's now within you? You fools, who has bewitched you? Who took from you the eyes to see and the ears, ears to hear how life on life's terms actually is? Who took from you the ability to call a spade a spade and to see reality as actual reality? And again, Andrew's great sermon really sort of ties into this. Um, a theologian, um, uh, one who receives the Word of God um, and is able then to find hope in a context in the, the life lived as one lived as, uh, as dying and being damned, uh, is able then to see it for what it is and not be overcome by it to not be, uh, though struck down, to be in a hole so deep there is no light, and yet know that light exists and light is coming. Um, to be in the tomb with Christ on Holy Saturday, dark, sealed off, stone dead cold, and yet Easter is as real as that tomb. Um, that's what he wants to recover. Is it dramatic? It's absolutely dramatic. I mean, this is an emotional, uh, unscripted theological plea. As we'll see later, um, I think it's the only one he does this. Certainly Paul's um, reciting this, and a scribe is, uh, is, is writing it down. Um, and at the end, in Galatians 6, last, second to last verse, it's like, See, I write to you in my own hand with such large letters. It's like Paul saying, I'm really in this. You know, he's just sort of reciting, dictating a, uh, uh, an emotional plea to the people that he loves to say, Who has bewitched you? Sober up. Call a spade a spade and see life as it actually is. Um, and so, uh, let's, let's, let's switch over. We'll do the, the, the Johnny Cash stuff. So where's my stream of thought here? Um, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, uh, it was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Then why would you go back to the other way? Having received it by the Spirit, are you now going to take it over and be natural? This is a common sort of bait and switch, by the way. Um, small group, but a room this size. Wouldn't be surprised if somebody came to faith through something like an evangel, um, evangelistic rally or something like that. Just as I am, without one plea, and you come forward with every, um, after every eye is closed and every head bowed, and you receive, you know, you say the Jesus prayer, which I got nothing against, and you come forward and you receive um, uh, to to your own way of thinking, you apprehend that which has already been done for you, and you go up and you say yes to God. I believe um, that He died for my sins, for which I am. 
I am I'm grievously sorry. And uh, and I'm feeling that burden lifted. In Wesley's terms, you know, my heart is strangely warmed. We do a great job with that word. A lot of us do. A lot of the church do an awful job. A lot of us do. A lot of the church where we go back. Just what Paul is saying. You know, a supernatural act started it. Are we going to go back and think now it's up to me? Something like, you know, I know that you came to him, you know, soiled and broken and a sinner. But now you've got to clean up your act. I mean, aren't you going to sort of do something for God? I mean, he did all that for you. You know, publicly portrayed as Christ. And can't you do anything? I mean, aren't you so ashamed of yourself to sort of clean it up and quit cussing or drinking or fooling around or, you know, whatever it is? Um, those are, you know, low-hanging fruit. But, and Paul wants to say, by no means. The same thing that brought you in is what carries you forward to the completion. Um, there is no bait and switch. You foolish Galatians, why are you so drunk? Sober up, call a spade a spade, and see things as they are. And then he says this, let me ask you this one question. Just this one question. And so if you know Walk the Line, you know where I'm going. Johnny Cash, um, uh, a theologian, um, certainly in Luther's sense, um, one who's able to call a spade a spade, who tasted and drank deeply the bitter fruits of, of, uh, of the world's promises and, 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 and received its disappointments. The promises of sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever else it's going to be, of success, of you can do this. Uh, and he was sorely disappointed to the point where he had no hope, not unlike William Cooper, and, uh, and, and, and went literally into the bowels of the earth, into the bowels of despair, and wanted to take his own life before the Lord intervened. Well, there's this great, obviously over-dramatically, uh, over-dramatized scene in Walk the Line where Cash, right at the beginning of his career, and he goes to this audition. Y'all seen this movie? Y'all seen this? I forgot how much I like this movie. In fact, a little story about Barry McRae, a good friend of several of ours who died several years ago, um, going down to a, a youth trip in Costa Rica. On the plane going down, this is right after we had babies. Um, so I wasn't watching any, I, st I still don't watch any movies. Um, I definitely wasn't watching movies there. And so I was just happy that a movie was on the plane. I was like, oh, this is great, you know, it's clean, and there's no vomit on my shoulder, and a movie, and this is going to be fun. And it was Walk the Line on the, on the, on the plane down to, um, to, uh, uh, to, to Costa Rica. And I got off, we were going into customs, and Barry was behind me. And I must have just been electrified. I mean, I was just like, that was such a great movie. I mean, did you not see that? And Barry looked at me and was like, why, what did that movie do to you? I mean, why are you so, I mean, it was good, but why are you so excited? I've never forgotten that. I mean, he was really, he genuinely wanted to know. Um, and I thought, it just, it just seemed real. I believed it. I think Joaquin Phoenix sort of owned the man. And, uh, and there's a kindredness to, to cash, to, to the way that he had cash. Now, I didn't do all that cash did, but I really resonated with the movie. So I kind of climbed back into this this week. And I think he is an example of, um, of a theologian uh, in Luther's sense. The experience of living and dying and being damned. You are made, I took it too soon, passive tense. He received the Word of God, which made him, honed him, through the school of hard knocks, as it were, not the success and the victory. He didn't sort of get to be one who knew God and his sweet comfort, title of the series, of the class, through your best life now, 
through looking for the silver lining, through ignoring the, the negative and focusing on the positive, the power of positive, all of that. Who has bewitched you? Why are you so drunk on the self-help stuff that you're reading? That is not a gospel. Um, it is old, and it's not new, and it's not good. It's harmful. And he climbs into all that. Cash found that. So the preface is an old interview. It's only one minute long with uh, Joaquin Phoenix on, um, on Conan O'Brien, where Joaquin Phoenix describes meeting Johnny Cash. And uh, strangely, uh, Cash describes to Joaquin Phoenix, who played the Emperor Claudius in Gladiator, um, the line that he really likes. And I'll say why I think he liked that line. Um, you got to meet Johnny Cash even before you made this film, before you knew that you were going to be making this film. Is that right? Yeah. How did that come about? Um, well, I was invited over to dinner at his um, a friend's house mm -hmm. and um, went over and it was an amazing experience. I, I can't tell you what the, what that's like. My words can't describe um, what it was. There, John and June were just um, beautiful people, and they sang the song um, together and looked at each other's eyes, and and, um, and it was this beautiful spiritual. And then I had to leave, and John stopped me as I was walking out, and he was a real fan of this movie, The Gladiator. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> he said, I can't do his voice anymore, but he said, my favorite part is. Uh, when you said your son squealed like a girl when they nailed him to the cross and your wife moaned like a whore as they ravaged her again and again and again. I love that part. <laughs> That's kind of weird. And I was like, I mean, I laughed too, just like y'all did. And I was like, but I was like, ick, why did I laugh? And what, what's going on? And I thought, well, of course that's what he liked. You know, that happened. That's us. That's humanity. It's humanity at large. It's ugly. It's base. Johnny Cash, a theologian, one who knows life lived and living and dying and being damned. I love that line because it was so real. There was no fluff. It wasn't drunk. It was very Flannery O'Connor. You know, Jim Palmer's great class from earlier this fall. Man, go go listen to that if you haven't heard. If you weren't there. Reminded me of that, you know, what she was called the grotesque southern writer. Where she would write about these awful, awful characters. I mean, just misfits and, and murderers. Uh, a Bible salesman who, uh, who duped a, a, a naive girl um, uh, who was homely and comely and had no um, affection and attention whatsoever. Uh, duped her... Um, into almost a liaison, and then stole her wooden leg. A Bible salesman. And, and she calls that an event of salvation. <laughs> what? Grotesque. What did Flannery O'Connor say? Um, to those who are hard of hearing, we shout. And to those who can't see well, we write in large letters. <laughs> and Johnny Cash knew that. His songs, Gladiator, to those who are hard of hearing, to those who can't see well, you have to raise your voice and use large capital letters. You know, use figures that capture your attention so you can shuffle us, O oh foolish Galatians, that's you and I. Who has bewitched you? Who made us so drunk that we don't know which end is up? How come we don't see things the way they actually are? And a line, a throwaway line, 
by, uh, by, by walking phoenix and gladiator could have that effect. And so now, this, this uh, scene in, um, in the movie, very similar to Paul's rhetorical device. It's about five minutes, we'll end well. Um, where Paul goes, let me ask you only this. Um, and if you've seen the movie, you know the line where he's auditioning for a, for a um, they want to get an album recorded, and they're just doing some bubblegum gospel. And you will hear a little bit of that. And the uh, the producer totally this can't be the way it actually happened, but it it works for the film. Uh, says if that was real, do you really believe that? Is that your gut level of the experience of living and dying and being damned? Because that's what people want to hear. That's real. That other stuff is so superficial. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna record anything that I can't sell. So it's all chasing the dollar for the producer. But he knows that at a gut level, you know that bubblegum gospel, the same old thing we've heard the same old way a hundred times. Well, that's not gonna do it. And then Joaquin Phoenix, who I think does a great, great job in this film. Um, uh, he. Uh, <laughs> everything is the Air Force. Well, I do, until he takes it from there. So we'll listen to this, and then we'll uh, uh, have a minute, and we'll break. material that doesn't sell, Mr. Cash, and gospel like that, doesn't sell. It was the gospel that I sing. Both. What's wrong with what I sing? I don't believe you. I won't understand my name. We come down here, we play for a minute, and he tells me I don't believe in God. You know exactly what I'm telling you. We've already heard that song a hundred times, just like that, just like how you sang. But we didn't let us bring it home. <laughs> bring it home. All right, let's bring it home. He was hit by a truck, and he was lying out in that gutter dying, and you had time to sing one song. Huh? One song people would remember before your dirt. One song that would let God know what you felt about your time here on earth. One song that would sum you up and tell me that's the song you'd sing. That same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day. About your peace within and how it's real and how you're going to shout it. Or you'd be singing something Something real. Something you felt. I'm telling you right now. That's the kind of song people want to hear. That's the kind of song that truly saves people. It ain't got nothing to do with believing in God, Mr. Cash. It has to do with believing in yourself. That's the only bad line in this scene. 
You got anything against the Air Force? No. So that great description of the receptive life stuck in Folsom Prison. I mean, where else are you going to be in a position like this for ever? Um, but in prison. And just the great lyrics. I mean, just climbing to that last couple of days. Uh, that's what tortures me. Knowing that everybody else gets to sort of live that bubblegum, superficial life, and I'm stuck here. And their life living and dying and being damned. Um, it's making cash a theologian. But of course, that's not the last word. So we run to the gospel, to the actual good news. Not another gospel, um, but the gospel which Paul preached to the Galatians. And here's, uh, here's Luther in his um, commentary on Galatians. And it's just a, a paragraph. You know, It's pretty indicative of, of so many paragraphs in here. Contrary-wise, it's interesting, it's an 1850 translation of Luther's Latin, so it's in Old English, which is kind of funny, Luther and these and thous and all that, but oh well. Contrary-wise, we teach and comfort the afflicted sinner after this manner. Folsom, pretty city blues. Brother, it is not possible for thee to become so righteous in this life that thou shouldst feel no sin at all. That's what tortures me. That thy body should be clean like the sun without spot or blemish. But thou hast yet wrinkles and spots, and yet thou art holy notwithstanding. But thou wilt say, how, will I, how can I be holy when I have and feel sin in me? I answer, in that thou dost feel and acknowledge thy sin, it is a good token. Give thanks unto God, and despair not. 
It is one step to health when the sick man doth acknowledge and confess his infirmity. But how shall I be delivered from sin? Run to Christ, the physician who healeth them that are broken in heart, and saveth sinners. If thou believe, thou art righteous, because thou givest glory to God, that he is almighty, merciful, true, etc. Thou justifiest and praisest God. Thou yieldest unto him his divinity, and in other words, acknowledge him the creator, uh, and whatsoever else belongs unto him. And the sin which remaineth in thee is not laid to thy charge, but is pardoned for Christ's sake, in whom thou believest, who is perfectly just, whose righteousness is thy righteousness, and thy sin he took upon himself. He became a curse for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Folsom City Blues, um, the only way out is... Uh, freedom in Christ. And that's where the whole letter is going, by the way. We'll be there next week um, talking about uh, that very freedom. Um, uh, it is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. The declaration of the indicative, Christ has set you free. And it is for freedom that we are free. Bolsom City Blues. So we'll see if Cash stays in here or not. No promises, but he might. So. Let me pray. Come, Lord, correct me where I'm wrong. Um, speak your word. Let it be holy word, holy scripture, a word which brings into effect the very thing which is spoken. Speak hope, where hope is so desperately needed. Light in the darkness, um, restoration to those who are broken, reconciliation for those who are set apart. Come, Lord, speak your word to us. We beg um, through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior. This is in His name that we pray. Amen.